Hi, this is Reese Roper, and you're listening to our newest podcast ever. Hey, everybody, this is Andrew and John, and we love this podcast because it's about us. Welcome to Magnified Pod, the second season, our newest podcast ever. And the haters uh, want to see the rise and fall of Magnified Pod, but they won't anytime soon. I'm Andrew. <laughs> I'm John. And this is our podcast. Uh, this is going to be a very all over the place episode. Yeah. And John and I had a uh, a Bill O'Reilly moment before this <laughs> recorded. We said, you, "Should we get some things like what order we're going to do? Or should we kind of figure out how the?" And we're like, "And he's like, fuck it, we'll do it live." <laughs> so we are doing yep. a fuck it, we'll do it live, and this is going to be an emotionally charged episode with also a significant amount of silliness and levity which is yeah. kind of our brand yeah but i mean the world has gone through a lot in the last couple of weeks we were off last week and kind of weighed um how and when to come back but we felt like we had a lot to talk about and there are serious things that we want to talk about, but there's also some silliness that we want to be feeling and taking part in again. So when we took that week off, I just felt like first off, I, I, as I had posted on, on the socials, I was just like, I didn't really feel like it would be appropriate because I didn't want to pretend like things were normal, but I was also just like, not really in the mood no, because it was. Just, I was just feeling so heavy and emotional. Plus, my apartment is a block away from mm. where a lot of the demonstrations and protesting, and even some of the uh, rioting and uh, vandalizing and stuff has been going down. Like my right. my local post office um, was burned down, like two blocks from here. The police station, the 5th Precinct, which is a block from here, still looks like it's a fortified war zone. Yeah. it's There are barbed wire fences and uh, those cement barricade things around it. And all along it, people have like spray painted uh, protest messages. Um, and it's it's really surreal. It's very surreal. Uh, yeah, but all that to say, like, um, I normally record from my apartment and, um, I hadn't been here in a while. And, uh, so it's just like, we wanted to give the moment, the space to breathe and happen without Mm -hmm. us feeling compelled to do a running commentary, uh, about a social justice issue that does not uh, center around us as two white men. Yeah. Yeah. So white men and white people don't need to take the air out of the room in every situation. So, right. yeah, but there were, 
some things we did want to discuss today, so we will do that. This is also ostensibly our Rise and Fall of Five Iron DVD episode, uh, which will be kind of at the end <laughs> after <laughs> a lot of other business. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've got some listener submitted music to listen to. Uh, just just plenty to go over today. So, yeah, we, we've had a bunch of. So, John, we have a lot of very talented yeah. listeners. It's true. And I'm excited to share some of that music that has been sent to us. But first things first, John, it is a it is a sad day. Mm. I am cracking open my very last hashtag Meg beer. Sad. Uh, hashtag sad. <laughs> I, I did that weeks ago. <laughs> so I feel <laughs> you, your pain. <laughs> you, um, you have not displayed any level of uh, restraint. You just were no. like, beers? In the face. Yeah. I also have a fridge full of hams, so I've yes. been I've been biding my time. To, uh, I I actually think I last week's episode with Scott, I drank, I did have a Meg beer, but it was sort of discussed off, off right. the pod, like yeah. so. Uh, but this one is a Hops of Wrath Dust Bowl Brewing Company. Uh, I don't know what you were sent. Did you have a Hops of Wrath? Uh, yes, I did. I believe. Okay. I remember it being tasty. Yes. That's the uh, Steinbeck mm. country up there. Mm. The uh, grapes of There Raff. you go. Mm. Got to get that, that Stein, that Steiny reference. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I'm just, As uh, everybody called him. <laughs> classic Steiny. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm wrecking some bourbon tonight. Cause I, I need, uh, I need that real shit. Stronger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, I'm almost done with one of my bottles of bourbon. I'm, I am drinking way too much during this time. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm John, I'm trying to make it through. Okay. Yes. I'm trying to be okay. Again, referencing something we talked about <laughs> off mic. <laughs> so yeah. MCR. I'm not Okay. I'm not oh fucking K. I'm actually yeah. doing okay. Uh, Good. So some, something, so, so I have I have something to, that I am actually joyful about. Mm. So should we do? I don't know if you have something, but I have something that I would like to share in our segment, Joy Boys. Sure. Happy, happy, joy, joy, joy. John, I'm assuming you watched The Mandalorian when it came out on Disney Plus. You know, right? I still have to do that i'm the worst what i know the problem is the venn diagram and i've discussed this of shows that both my wife and i want to watch is zero and her level of mandalorian (laughs) interest is zero so i keep being like you know at midnight this tonight is really the night i'm really gonna like power through and watch like half of it because i've been so excited about it since it came out but it's been a long time now anyway i will watch it soon i promise that that is insane to me. It's been out for like six months. I know. And you know, okay. Well, I'm not going to. I I don't mean to Mando shame you. But <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> so one of the so, so I, I'm I'm assuming you have to know about 
the child. Hashtag baby Yoda. Wait, Yoda was a baby? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I know about uh, the child. Okay, so the child or baby Yoda as 99% of people, <laughs> the people that are like, well, actually, his his name is that he's not Yoda. That's not he's he's actually called reference as the child, and it's like let us have but he this. Can't, that he can't be Yoda though, right? To be clear, no, he's not. He's not Yoda. This is he is this, a Yoda. Well, <laughs> whatever whatever Yoda is, that he's is not, what um, the, the Yaddle, he's also fifty. Is that a name? He's also <laughs> Yaddle. Yaddle. He's not. He's not Yaddle. Yaddle. He's not Yaddle. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's not he's not Watto. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh so anyway, back in December, I <laughs> pre-ordered the Mattel Baby Yoda plushie. And I it was scheduled to be delivered near the end of May. And I've been so patient and so anxiously awaiting it. And and then when it got close to the date, they pushed it back to like the first week of June. And I was like, how, how are you going to do this to me? Just make me wait like another week. But in the mail the other day, I received my baby Yoda plushie. Look at that guy. Look at, look at this. Look at his face. Look at his face, John. I see it. It's beautiful. I'm so happy with my baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> so glad. <laughs> you, need, got, uh, you need a Mandalorian got, helmet to put on and just sit next to him and hang out. You know, I'm, I'm curious how many people are going to go as Mando for Halloween now <sighs> that they have their, their baby Yoda. going to be Halloween. Oh, God. John, why are you <laughs> doing this to <laughs> me? <laughs> so, so this is another thing that is is bringing me joy is that God, I'm just setting my baby Yoda right here, and he's looking at me, and I'm just make, it just makes me so happy. Um, he's like, do it, you can, Andrew. I know he doesn't no, talk. No, no, he does not talk. He coos, and he's adorable, and he's perfect. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm getting very defensive of my doll. So I, uh, I am, for those who know, I, I live in Minneapolis right now. But come end of July, I'm closing on a house in St. Paul. John's, John's old stomping ground. That's right. And so I'll become a St. Paul resident. And something that I experienced last Halloween was hanging out with our our boy, Mark Hack, Mark Atkinson, friend mm-hmm. of the pod, uh, was that people in St. Paul and at least in his neighborhood and the greater surrounding neighborhoods, like the adults were just walking around with beer and booze and were just like drinking while <laughs> their kids were trick or treating. And I'm like, and like, I had a guy who's like, Hey, come up here. Let's and like, they were handing out shots yeah. to the, to the parents. I'm like, I remember you talking best, about this. This is the best Halloween ever. I how do you make, so- how do you make the greatest day even better like that? That's how you do it. By giving adults alcohol. Yep. There was a guy who kept, he was like just pouring shots of whiskey for <sighs> everybody coming up to I'm like, can I just move? I, I want to live here. <laughs> this is great. And so I've been so excited. Like, yes, I can't wait. Now I'm living. But then I just have this realization. Like, is there going to be a Halloween? Oh, man. Damn it, John. It's tough. It's tough. It's, 
Because even if you did like a socially distant thing, you're probably not taking candy from people's homes. Like, uh, not thinking unless about... it's like a unless it's like a no contact. They pour it in a bowl or I something like so. that. Which is yeah, if they're like individually wrapped, I guess it's okay. I don't know. I, the or idea... they just quarantine the candy for you know like... <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> like the candy's been really safe. Um, they have little masks on. Um, <laughs> I the idea of Halloween going away makes me so sad i don't want to go there yet because it's still months away so you know who knows what could happen um but uh yeah i'm preparing for the worst um (laughs) starting starting this episode off with i don't know how that how that joy boy segment like morphed into (laughs) preparing for the worst that's that's where i'm at right now i was gonna say Uh, i don't I, i don't really have like things like that that are fun (laughs) that are bringing me joy but i was going to use it to transition transition that's not two words it's one word um transition into some of the things that have been emerging over the last couple of weeks that have brought me some Hmm. um i don't know if hope is the right word exactly um but you know uh encouragement um yeah about what this moment can mean. So maybe I'll just transition there. Let's um, do it. So, yeah, I mean, as you said, when when we were first kind of deciding whether we'd have an episode, a lot of what had been happening in terms of, like, rebellion, protest, uh, clearly targeted vandalism and fires that we are learning increasingly are caused almost entirely by white supremacists and not protesters um, from the cities where these these things are happening. Um, Yeah, at first it was kind of limited to the Twin Cities and it's been crazy to see it just explode across the country and the world. And, you know, seeing those maps about every, all 50 states have had protests most days of the last couple weeks. Uh, Most, a lot of countries around the world, like all major cities have had some version of a protest basically. Um, And it's just wild to see like, people saying this moment feels unique among moments where people are paying attention to racial justice and the idea of a more just society in in new and kind of unprecedented ways. So yeah, these like 12 weeks or whatever of COVID insanity and us talking about like, how can this year get any crazier? And then (laughs) the last couple of weeks, things just completely, exploding at first just felt like oh it's just more horror on top of other nightmares but i feel like something almost beautiful has come out of it too and i don't want to call it that too prematurely because i'm cognizant of this being a thing that like white people are on board with for now and then maybe we'll move back to banana bread or whatever um, you know, you shared that meme that I saw other people share too of with Troy from yeah, Don, Donald Glover and community. <laughs> and it's like us 12 weeks ago, like making banana bread and he's smiling in a sweater and then it's like yeah. now, and it's uh from this is America video and it's like, he's got a machine gun. It's like me wanting to abolish the police today. Um, yeah. but yeah, I, I, you know, but I, I have seen, people who I'm surprised being willing to think maybe in new ways about some things, um, get on board with that idea. It seems to be 
breaking through in a way that I can't really remember happening in our lifetimes. Um, and that Uh does make me feel hopeful. Um, and I think, you know, a lot of people are framing it in terms of like the election and I'm just like, this is so much bigger than that. Um, and obviously as we've discussed, I want like a piece of toast to win over Donald Trump. I want anybody to beat this guy into the ground, but like, regardless, I'm not here for conversations about whether or not these are good tactics for us to win in November. Like this is a long haul and this fight is going to continue regardless of who wins. Um, right. Exactly. It just feels like an exciting time in the sense of maybe building some momentum there that could actually go somewhere rather than just being saddled with whatever, uh, we can get away with in electoral politics, which will be not very much usually. Um, so I just wanted to plug a couple things that are bringing me joy in terms of uh, resources. I've talked about the work that my wife Jenny does on the pod a few times, um, but she uh, is uh, creative partners with uh, our friend Austin Channing Brown, who I've also talked about on the pod. We all went to North Park together. We took that Sankofa trip uh, together, which I talked about uh, a few episodes ago as being kind of like one of the highlights of that year that we did that racial reconciliation trip through the South as college students. Um, And that ended up being a formative experience for all of us, but I think particularly for Jenny and Austin who've maintained this friendship and partnership. And so they produced together uh, a web series called The Next Question. And Season one came out last year. They're in talks um, for what season two could look like right now. But one thing that's been really gratifying over the last couple of weeks is seeing some of my friends doing this work get recognized in new and really exciting ways. Um, Austin is now a New York Times bestseller, which is crazy. Um, She was on Brene Brown's podcast this week and took over her Instagram. And Brene talked about the next question and, post about the next question. And so it's just like they're seeing all these new opportunities from the work that they're doing. Um, And I've found Austin's friendship and her work as a writer to be um, just super helpful. So her book is called I'm Still Here, Black Dignity in a World Made for Whiteness. And the show, The Next Question, uh, is free. Um, You can check out all the episodes now. And they have great guests like Brene Brown and Nicole Hannah-Jones who did the 1619 Project and Rachel Cargill and a bunch of really cool people. Um, but I would recommend uh, checking that out for, for people who are interested in learning more about that. Yeah. And, you know, I just keep seeing people saying, you know, what, what can white people do? And I think that's kind of the question right now for people who are, you know, there's more people getting, engaged in protests than ever. There's people who are going to rallies who've never done that before. Um, and I think the question is, how is that sustained? How do we move from that to as white people applying some of those questions in our daily life in the systems that we partake in each day, you know, our neighborhoods and our workplaces and our schools, um, all these things, how can we keep this, fight for racial justice alive in our daily life because that's what it's going to take to sustain it. So one thing I found helpful that I know a lot of people have seen is like anti-racism resources for white people. It's this Google doc um, that some activists have put together 
Um, you can find it at bit.ly slash anti-racism resources. And it just has a ton of stuff in it as far as organizations and um, books and materials and tangible actions that you can take. So for people who are kind of wondering like, well, what do I do? What's the best thing I can do? There's lots of good stuff in there. And then housed within that is this um, post on Medium called 75 Things White People Can Do for Racial Justice um, by Corin Shatak. And I've seen a lot of people sharing that too. And that also just has a lot of easy, pretty direct ways that you can just do something. And those involve like contacting your local police department about practices there, contacting your school, you know, these kind of ways that it's such a local practice, how that works. Um, and, you know, I just want to also plug uh, the National Bail Fund Network. Um, that's a directory of different community bail funds uh, where you can support uh, those in cities around the country, help folks out who are, you know, sitting in jail for no other reason than they can't afford their bail or have been put in jail as a result of the protests. And it's like a significant way we can do something with our dollars there too. Um, so yeah, I just, this moment where people are kind of realizing what's the difference between racism and prejudice, you know, racism isn't just being mean or calling people bad names or intentionally right. doing something hateful. It's how we take part in these systemic systems and what does it look like to um, divest from a system of white supremacy? It takes these kind of intentional practices. So it's a lot, it's heavy, but I am encouraged in the sense of people wanting to be involved in this in a way that I, I can't remember seeing before. And I think we're all still learning. We're all still going to get things wrong. Um, but it's important that we, especially as white people are trying to do this. This is our, this isn't something that people of color can solve and can solve on their own. It takes us as people who set up the system to change it. Um, and that's starting to happen in, in some meaningful ways, I think. So anyway, that's, that's my, those things are giving me joy. That's yes. And I want to talk about um, policing in a yeah. second, but I want to talk about some, you know, you talked about Austin's book, mm -hmm. but there are, if you look at the best-selling books right now, yeah, almost all of them have to do with racism, anti-racism, mm -hmm. whiteness, uh, you know, white, you know, uh, uh, white supremacy, all of this. And that's because, you know, I think we are reaching... I read a post today um, about Dave Chappelle and, a, and an experience he had in a club. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he talked about that in a friend of his in South Africa said that the reason apartheid was overturned is that caring reached critical, critical mass. mass. Yep. And yep. I think we are at a critical mass right now. Yeah. And to a point where this is like, yes, we have seen riots. We have seen protests, but to this extent that it went fucking global. Right. And people are just furious. They're exhausted. And I think we have reached a point where 
everybody who is also just in, in this administration has just been pushed to the limits of the racist bullshit that they're willing to just continuously be have shoved down their throats by this administration. Yeah. And so uh, you, you just look at all the resources that people are just thirsting for to yep. like figure out how we do this, how to be a better ally, how to not have your actions be performative because it's so easy to uh, change your Facebook profile to a black square or, right. um, you know, throw a couple hashtags out there and then literally do nothing. And it's, it, it it's more, it has to be more than that. And it needs to be sustained. It can't, it can't stop after a couple weeks. Right. And, um, and it's, and we could easily, just stop you and me. It's, right. this is totally. not something that we are going to, uh, have to deal with because we are white dudes. But, uh, I just started reading white fragility mm. by Robin D'Angelo and something that, so her book is sort of looking at, why it is so difficult for white people to engage in conversations about race right? and why. And because we all just have the knee jerk reactions are like, well, slavery ended so long ago and I've never owned a slave and I don't, I'm not racist. I don't say the N words. I, I'm colorblind. And like white people have all these knee jerk reactions and responses and they get defensive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just want to read briefly uh, this paragraph from the introduction to her book, um, White Fragility. White people in North America live in a society that is deeply separate and unequal by race, and white people are the beneficiaries of, the separate, of that separation and inequality. As a result, we are insulated from racial stress at the same time that we come to feel entitled to and deserving of our advantage. Given how seldom we experience racial discomfort in a society we dominate, we haven't had to build our racial stamina. Socialized into a deeply internalized sense of superiority that we either are unaware of or can never admit to ourselves, we become highly fragile in conversations about race. We consider a challenge to our racial worldviews as a challenge to our very identities as good moral people. Thus, we perceive any attempt to connect us to the system of racism as an unsettling and unfair moral offense. The smallest amount of racial stress is intolerable. The mere suggestion that being white has meaning often triggers a range of defensive responses. These include emotions such as anger, fear, and guilt, and behaviors such as argumentation, silence, and withdrawal from the stress-inducing situation. These responses work to reinstate white equilibrium as they repel the challenge, return our racial comfort and maintain our dominance within the racial hierarchy. I conceptualize this process as white fragility. Though white fragility is triggered by discomfort and anxiety, it is born of superiority and entitlement. White fragility is not weakness per se, 
In fact, it is a powerful means of white racial control and the protection of white advantage. I feel like that encapsulates, if there's a thesis to the book, it's that. Yeah. You know, that we get defensive, we shut down, and we retreat and into this like cocoon of privilege where we recite the like, I'm a good moral person and you come up with all the excuses and then you don't have to engage in it. Meanwhile, the systems of white supremacy Mm -hmm. uh, continue to run rampant through our government, through our social services, through housing, through policing, you know, anything, uh, the just other capitalist systems as well. Mm. So, and people think that like racism and white supremacy is literally a dude walking down the street in a Klan robe. Mm. And it's more insidious than that. And so people think like, oh, well, I've never seen, like what, I haven't met a white supremacist as if you need to, as if you need to like, be seeing someone, you know, Heil Hitler in the street and, you know, and like actually be a fascist to benefit and support white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Which you might just, see, which you might see more of these days. <laughs> but well, yes. Regardless. Yes. Yeah. I think the distinction there is, you know, racism versus anti-racism. Like yeah. there, it's not a matter of being racist means saying mean things or going to a clan rally we it, it racist isn't something that you are it just is a system that exists you know this metaphor of it being like fish to water or air we are born yeah. into the system that operates on systemic racism and anti-racism is the thing that you need to take action for At, like racism isn't an action that you take anti-racism is the action of choosing to unplug from that air that water that system that you're born into um and like you're saying we we as white people can wake up to that and choose to go back into the matrix um but it's important to stay unplugged from it and realize all the ways that you have been plugged into it yeah and it's it's pretty infuriating um and it's funny too when you think of (laughs) I've I've recognized just in starting to read this book, you know, they, she talks about how uh, white progressives are the worst. Yeah, totally. and um, you know, because white progressives are typically the ones that are like, I've got it all figured out. I'm great. I have the answers. It's other people that need to do the work. Right. right and right. you know, I. <laughs> so you don't. I don't need. Didn't need to read far into this book to be like, oh shit, especially the part where she talks about building our racial stamina and you don't need to look further than like these past two weeks and white people are just exhausted and black people, people of color do this every day day of of their their entire, (laughs) yes, all the time. And we're just like, oh man, this is so hard being, it's like, yeah. Yeah, and so think about that all the time, every day, coupled with fear and right. the potential 
murder that you could experience at any moment and then go try and go about your lives and have that be your existence all the time. And so we don't have the stamina. I don't have the stamina. Right. And so this is, you know, um, so she talks about the smallest amount of racial stress is intolerable. And so, and I'm not talking about the racial stress of like the conversations necessarily, but I, I, the stress of the realities of what I'm seeing and learning and the, and, and uh, observing in the world, that sort of stress to me is like, it is exhausting. And I'm just like, I'm fucking like, even though like I, I like to think I am trying to be a better ally. I just reading this, I'm like, I, no, I can do better and be better. Right. And I am nowhere near complete. And it needs to be a constant, it needs to be a constant education and uh, examining, self-examination. You know, right. that's, it's not just like uh, I post a King quote during February and, right. you know, aren't I great? Right. Yeah. No, and I think, it's also important to note um, that we can't put this on our black friends or right. colleagues or acquaintances reaching right. out saying, what can I do? I'm so sorry. Like, I think those things are fine if you're in an actual relationship with that person and you're genuinely checking in on how someone is doing, but what's going to matter more to that person is not our checking in. It's, reflecting you know we've got all these companies saying black lives matter to us and it's like i don't need to hear that you know whatever arby's thinks that black lives matter but like <laughs> if they were like arby's wants to join the movement to defund the police i'd be like shit yeah. all right arby's. like show us with your actions that you that you think black lives matter we've got the meats and the racial justice like okay all right all right, all right. i'll take it all right okay okay but <laughs> yeah if if I would love to, but like Ben and Jerry's is going hard oh, as fuck. I got to find I, you this uh, Ben and Jerry's tweet. Did you see this or did I share it with you already? <laughs> I don't think you shared it, but like I've been, you know, <laughs> I saw somebody post something about like, you know, we believe that black, like other companies are like, you know, we believe that black lives matter or whatever. And then Ben and Jerry's is like, fuck white supremacy. Let's tear <laughs> yeah. it all down. And it's like, I love it. I love it. You know, just like, this is not a time to like, you know, focus group the best. Like, let's what's going to be the most inoffensive way to discuss? No, white supremacy and racism on its face is offensive. And if you're trying to figure out a way to be gentle and calm about it because you don't want to alienate your customers, you're fucking part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. You you need to not worry about upsetting friends and family because people are literally dying right and we don't need to and like we have the systems of mass incarceration and a for-profit prison system yep. that is incarcerating people of color at exponential rates compared to the same crimes for white people and if that's not if that doesn't bother you and if your first gut reaction when you see that a, another black person, unarmed black person, was murdered by the police. Is well, 
I want to know where the, you know, the video just starts. I want to know what right, happened right. before they started. If that's your first reaction. Yeah. Again, part of the problem, you know, this is, sorry. It doesn't, go, go. It, no, I was just going to say, it doesn't matter what this person did. Is there anything that this person could have done that justified watching someone be killed? Like, no, I don't care what this, like, which is why I think there's like a little bit of a danger of being like, you know, this person always did all these great things. You know, people do good things and bad things and, and life is right. complex. And that person could have done something terrible, but your reaction to seeing somebody being murdered, you should take issue with someone being murdered regardless of whether that person did something wrong or not. Um, yeah. And that's also not how our justice system works. Right. Police don't get to decide right, uh, right. that, that someone's like a police officer being frustrated with a person who is resisting arrest or not complying. The answer is not kill them. Right. Right. You failed at your job. If you do that. Yeah. Which get better, be better. That leads me to wanting to talk about the defund movement a little bit, but before I do that, I want to read that tweet that I was referencing. Uh, This was by Vegan Angle, and it went viral on Twitter, but she said, every other basic response, we stand with our black employees, smiley face, Ben and Jerry's, we got to fucking smash white supremacy, fuck the KKK, and fuck you, Black Lives Matter, our new flavor is called Fuck the Police, it's got blueberries. (laughs) Yes, that is the the one that I thought of. It's so good. It's so good. (laughs) Um, But yeah, what you're saying about cops are not judge jerry and executioner um and regardless of what you think about defunding or even abolishing police even many police officers agree that they have been asked to do way too many things suddenly for our society they're performing mental health functions and social worker functions and violent crime responses and you know they're just they've become these mediators and when you're people who are trained for violent altercations, it's you've got a system that's set up not to work well. And so I know yeah. that the whole defund term idea has been controversial, but I really think if people are taking issue with it, you might not have done a deep dive into what the actual movement is suggesting. Because yeah. it's about reallocation right. of budgets. That's, That's not what as it's catchy it's, as defund the police, but no, it's not. It's not. And, and so what, and if people are upset over the terminology of defunding police and that's enough for you to not look into it, be better. Look, you know, to, to, uh, quote our, uh, first lady, be better, uh, or be best or <laughs> be best. whatever, what be best. <laughs> oh, um, man. So it's uh, it's reallocating budgets, and to John's point, um, so they're looking at taking some of those funds and putting it to education, mental health services, affordable housing, youth development programs, living wage increases, violence prevention, homeless services, job training. So the and this is and and also like John said, there are there's a a police chief I think in maybe it was in Texas who's like. Yeah, we're asking too much, right. and all of society's ills are placed at the feet 
of the police for not doing enough. And what do you expect when we continuously defund right. other things like education or look at Illinois when Bruce Rauner defunded so many mental health services around the state. Yeah. So things are constantly being defunded. And meanwhile, our police are over militarized right. and have all this military grade stuff. And our nurses and doctors are wearing goddamn garbage bags for PPE. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how we can find all this military equipment to kill uh, innocent people with, but we can't find uh, masks for doctors. Um, I think the thing that maybe people don't always realize is a lot of these efforts to defund for a lot of major metropolitan areas. It's about, significant budget increases that have happened recently to these cities where, you know, in Chicago, 40% of our budget goes to the Chicago police department. And a lot of that is because of this militarization. A lot of this is because this equipment that they have, that's basically military grade. And so it's not like the cops have been operating at this level for this long. And we're going to take that money away. It's like maybe all these areas where we've pumped tons of money into these departments and it's not working. Violent crime is not, I mean, it's a misnomer that like it's so violent everywhere. I mean, violence begets violence. And so there are things that happen where maybe somebody comes in with a gun and creates a situation where there wasn't one before, but it's just a matter of looking at budgets and looking at how we've chosen to take things away and replace it with funding for cops and deciding whether or not that's working. And if it's not, maybe it's worth taking some of that away again and putting it back into where you took it from. Yeah. I've seen quite a bit of violence these past couple of weeks coming from police. Right. I've yeah. seen tear gassing constantly right. during a pandemic where you know, the, stuff that's the trans- illegal and chemical warfare. Yeah. You know, during a pandemic where the transmission of, of the virus through <laughs> coughing, you know, and then you right. shoot things at protesters that makes them cough. Yeah. And it is also like a lung, uh, you know, affects the lungs. And it's like, you're actually monsters. You're the villains in this story, pushing down 75-year-old men, shooting tear gas at churches, doing worship services, right? you know, uh, pointing your guns at children. You know, right. what, what makes you think that this, is, that this is okay? And you see just unbelievable amounts of just these guys living out the, this fantasy of being able to play tough guy cop and just get away with beating the shit out of people who are not doing anything but exercising their first amendment rights to protest. And then you have our president who gets those officers to gas people so he can hold up a Bible that he's never read in front of a church that he doesn't go to. Yep. It's worth it. Um, yeah. I don't have too much more to add. I just, if you, if you think the idea of defunding police is crazy, I would posit that all the things that you just said are much crazier than deciding that some of that budget should maybe go to people who are actually trained to help in situations rather than just uh, murder them. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you don't, you can Google uh, and find stories about 
people with mental health issues um, that are uh, getting aggressive and violent and families call the police because they think they're going to help. And they're like, look, this is, he has this mental health condition. Uh, and they like warn him ahead of time and they still come in and kill these people. And like the, the solution should not be first thing you do is like reach for the gun. And if that is your first instinct, maybe you shouldn't be a cop. Well, and maybe they're, maybe they're executing exactly what their training has been, you know, this, this warrior training or whatever, where it's like, they're seeing civilians as people who are going to hurt them. So they're going to hurt them first. I mean, it's, yeah. Anyway, if you're, tra- if you're trained, if you're trained to be a hammer, then everything looks like a nail. Exactly. And, uh, we're, we're a nation full of hammers right now. Um, yeah. And I really, as horrifying as everything in the world is right now, I am encouraged by regular people um, in ways that I've like felt hopeful. I, I don't know. It, like you're saying, it took this moment, this administration, these past few years to get to where we are now. But I would say that I actually feel more encouraged in this moment as awful as parts of it has been than I have in a long time on sort of a national level, just in terms of like, are we right now able to imagine systems that are better? Like, can we do this? Can we take this moment to think it doesn't have to be this way? Can it be bigger than what we've always thought it could be? So it will be telling coming out of this, how long this lasts, but you know, we're going to, we're probably going to keep talking about this stuff. Um, I want to stay engaged in this. If there's other resources we see that are valuable, I want to share them. And if you have things um, that you found to be useful uh, in this sort of fight for racial justice and a more just society in general, let us know. But um, I don't have any anything else to really rant about, but I, I will let you rant about anything else. That you well, you know, um, yeah, so we are going to keep talking about this. We were we were definitely far more political in our first season. It's true, but you know, <laughs> if there's something else that has been joyful in a in a cathartic way recently, it's been music that has been giving me life, and I've been listening to a shitload of propaganda. Nice. And a shitload of the suicide machines. Dude. And yeah. and this other album, this other band called Total Massacre. I don't okay. know if you've ever heard of Total Massacre, <laughs> nope. but they're like a a straight up like anti-fascist hardcore punk band. Nice. And they have they have <laughs> they have so many great great song titles. Um but they have a an, a song called uh the other white meat and okay. you know the the chorus is the system works just not for us and it it says that these aren't bugs these are fucking features and so when people are mm-hmm. like this is not this is not the america i know it's like no we have systems of white supremacy that have always been here 
Yeah. It's like, yeah, this is this. That's the whole point of the Childish Gambino song. This is America. This is America. And it's set up this way. So, uh, so listening to Propagandi and Total Massacre and the Suicide Machines, I've just been like, fucking right. And we we were texting a little bit about that yeah. prop, the the uh, the Suicide Machines, new Suicide Machines record, which came out I think like before End of March the or Mar- early March, early March. It maybe. was like it, I feel like it was before the pandemic started. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's it's just it's so recent, and yet just a couple months old. It feels prescient. It feels like they knew exactly what was coming right after the album was released. Oh, it, uh, yeah. It it dropped it dropped at the end of March, and yeah, okay. Um, yeah. So the this, their opening song, "Bully in Blue," about the police state and like police violence and police brutality. Yeah, I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. So everything, everything about this record does feel, um, like you said, does feel prescient. We've we've sang the praises of the new Suicide Machine records before, but it feels uh, even more meaningful to me uh, in these past couple of weeks. Um, yeah. And you know, also to again, uh, my boys and and Propagandi. Uh, listening to their their last few albums um supporting cast failed states and um victory lap uh and they're just like just so so good so thrashy and i'm like it's been three years since the last propagandi record i need a new propagandi record I would right be shocked. Now. I'd be shocked if they were not uh, coming up working on something material. Yeah, on, right now, Chris, Chris, Hannah. I know you're a big fan of the pod. <laughs> get Let's the pod. Uh, get get him on get him on the pod. I'm sure we've made the pod Bacandy joke before, but no, I not, I have uh, I have I've I've came up with I I came up with a bunch of um uh, propaganda based. I don't know if we have um you know. <laughs> Today's empires, tomorrow's podcast. You know so, <laughs> how to pod everything. <laughs> yeah, how to pod everything. Less talk, more pod. You know, this is all gold. Or this is my this is my favorite one. So their their album to their album supporting cast supporting podcast podcast. There you go. Yeah, I mean there it is. Feels like yeah. if we just sent them that two words, then they would yeah. get on board with coming on. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of responding to the political moment in music. Do we want to take a little bit of a turn into hearing from our buddy, Scott? <laughs> I think we should. Okay. Um, um, we had a great talk with Scott Kerr last week. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation. I really enjoyed getting to know him. I think both of us were really excited to uh, pick his brain about his experience in Five Iron um, and other bands. Um, but he he sent us a really thoughtful email following his interview um, that we told him we would read on the pod. So he said, hey guys, after this week, I regret how I answered your question about whether or not I feel a responsibility to speak out about the times we're living in. 
My answer was authentic, but incomplete. It's true that I feel cynical more often than not, but I don't like that about myself. All too often, I look for examples in my own interactions with people for evidence that opinions can be changed, which is such a small and selfish way of looking at it. I shouldn't need a personal victory in order to feel like the conversation is worthwhile. And even if all I've ever done is shout into the wind, perhaps adding my voice to crowd counts for something. So much of what showed up in my Facebook feed was heartbreaking, both the news and the responses to it. But I also witnessed a couple of people finally get the offensiveness of all lives matter. I read comment after comment on the five iron page about how Reese's lyrics impacted their views on social issues. I wouldn't say it restored my faith in humanity exactly, but it did re-energize me and made me proud to be a part of something that has made a difference to people. Anyway, I know the interview is over. I don't expect you to do anything unless you feel so inclined. I just wanted you to know how I felt and apologize for what must have been a bummer of an answer. And, you know, we kind of debriefed and I think that just makes me appreciate Scott even more because <laughs> he's such a thoughtful dude. Um, right. And actually, I don't think either of us were like, well, bummer after he gave his answer. <laughs> it seemed no. pretty, you know, like I said in response to him, like, there are lots of different kinds of songwriting and of approaches to lyrics and writing in general. And I don't think one is more valid than the other. You know, it's no secret that we love Reese's lyrics and we love when he wants to set it all on fire. Um, <laughs> but I don't, you know, I don't expect everybody in the band to have that stand. And I wasn't like, oh, I wish he would have responded, but I think we did our interview with him, like right as stuff was kicking yeah. off. Um, in the yeah. And I think I can imagine how having answered, he basically said, he didn't feel that he sort of um, doubts sometimes the ability of their lyrics to really change things. And I think he was saying in light of everything that's happened over the last couple of weeks and seeing everything he was that he found himself wishing he'd kind of answered that differently. But, right. you know, I, I will say we are among those people who have said that five irons lyrics have shaped our outlook and i do think that you know some of the stuff that like reese read us the well supplies last lyrics could be among oh, those kinds of songs just, for people in the just future. liquefy that song and inject <laughs> it into my blood into my blood into my bloodstream just exactly. put it in my body i just want i want a i want a concentrated while supplies last uh yeah. you know just it's just so those sorts of things it because i mean this is how i respond to music it is i'm i am a extremely emotional person and music uh causes an emotional response for me i know some people music might be intellectual and they're like they listen to it and they're like they they hear how that it's structured or they understand the theory but for me, I hear the progressions, I hear the lyrics, and it evokes a very real response from me. And I, I think I mentioned briefly to on the Scott interview about how the first time I heard Anti Flag, mm -hmm. uh, it was like it it blew my mind because I was not aware that political punk rock was even really a thing. Mm. Like I didn't, I like, I like maybe heard like some, you know, maybe bands that like would sing about like some of it, but I didn't realize that like there were bands that like focused solely specifically on it. Like that it sure. was like a larger, 
culture of like bands that did this. Um, and like, yeah, I knew Rage Against the Machine was a thing, which we need to get to <laughs> in a second. But the first time I, like, it was also, it came about at a time, I heard Anti-Flag at a time, um, I think it was late 2003. Yeah, so it was 2003. Uh, the, the album had just come out that year, and I first heard the Terror State. And it it blew my mind that, like, because I was so much coming of, of age in a, uh, and coming of, like, a, awareness of my own political leanings, that mm-hmm. it hit right when I needed it to. So I was 19, I was a sophomore in college, and it just like spoke to me in a way that like very few albums have. Mm-hmm. And so like, and that really project, put me on a trajectory for the kind of music I wrote, the kind of music I was ingesting, and um, and meant it meant a lot. And... So when you think about lyrics that for people like me who, who respond to music emotionally, something like five iron that is also, that is upbeat and dancey and funny and silly, but also speaks to the very core of people's faith Mm -hmm. and social issues. I mean, those are very personal emotional things. And so it doesn't surprise me at all, being the kind of person I am, that people would have a deep, deep attachment to the Five Iron lyrics. Speaking of Five Iron members, should I read a couple of uh, Apple Podcast reviews? (laughs) Yes. Yes, please do. Okay. Uh, As we've said, please rate and review us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But if you leave us a nice review in iTunes, uh, iTunes doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Apple podcasts. Uh, we will read that on the pod. So we got a very exciting review from a Mizaika <laughs> who I think you may know. Uh, it says, yeah, pretty awesome. So as a band member of one of the bands they've covered, Fiverr and Frenzy, not mixed picks. <laughs> I can say they get us, maybe more than we get us. As a band member, it's almost like hanging with a psychiatrist or counselor. (laughs) They've shed some light on what we've done in a fair way and in a loving way. They do good work. How much to lay on your couch because you dissect us in a good way. Anyway, nice work. (laughs) So thank you, Micah. Uh, I believe you had a birthday recently. Happy birthday. (laughs) Uh, Get him on the pod. Yep, got to get him on the pod. Micah, Uh, (laughs) we'll slide into your DMs. We'll, uh, we'll We'll set that up. It's going to happen. Yeah. Um, also got a nice one from Nacho <laughs> Bobbles. Nacho Bobbles said, you have to read this. And, you know, this is, a, this is kind of fanfic territory here. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's funny because this is the first person to do, do what I feel like more people would have been doing. Uh-huh. To be like, we said we will read whatever right, you right. write on the podcast. Yeah. And, you know, some people have written some really kind and kind of silly things, but this is the first time someone's like, <laughs> okay, I'm going to make them yeah. read this. You're going to read this, huh? And I kept waiting for it to get straight up sexual. It never does, but there, <laughs> it, it, it's thick with tension. Um, <laughs> it says, a clear dewy bead grew like a ripening plum on the cold aluminum shell. John ran his hand down the cool, smooth surface and let the moisture coat his fingertips. He found the top and grasped the tab, hooking his fingernail under the edge and prying it open. With a tug, a fizz, and a pop, it opened. 
Now that's a good hams. Magpod for life. <laughs> I mean, incredible. It's uh, yeah. it's it's pretty sexual, but uh, you know, it's, it's pretty sexy. It's pretty sexy. Uh, whoever you are, Nacho Bobbles, uh, maybe work on some ad copy because man, I feel like I need to crack <laughs> I was, a window. I was I was there. I yeah. you put me you put me in <laughs> in the space. It, I actually kind of want to go get a hams in a <laughs> right moment. Now. See, it worked. Yeah, I'm not it sure works. why I'm the one drinking the hams when you're the one who slams the hams uh, at uh, all available yeah. opportunities. But um, exactly. thank thank you for those reviews. Please continue reading them. Should we circle back to the Tom Morello tweets that you yes. mentioned? <laughs> <laughs> I love I this is to just add to the ridiculousness that is our current our current world. Um <laughs> It is unfathomable to me <laughs> that there are people who don't know that Rage Against the Machine is a political band. Like, where have they been? So, anyway, there's this all started when some guy tweeted at Tom Morello saying, and this is, I'm assuming, how he talks I used to be a fan <laughs> until your political opinions came out. Music is my sanctuary. And last thing I want to hear is political BS when I'm listening to music. As far as I'm concerned, you and Pink are completely done. Keep running your mouth and ruining your fan base. My favorite thing about um, that was lumping them in with Pink. I was like, oh, what did yeah. Pink do? And that's a hilarious <laughs> duo. Yeah, right? Well, I think what needs to happen is... Um, Prophets of Rage need to get pink on on a cut hey, and just sounds good. Get a, get, get the, that's the it's the collab we need right now. That's right. Uh, so t- Tom uh, replied, Scott, what music of mine were you a fan of that didn't contain political BS? I need to know so I can delete it from the catalog. So good. Um, and then people just dunked on him for a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people were like. Uh, hey, what what m- machine was he rate? Do you think they're raging against the washing machine, <laughs> right, the dishwasher? Yeah. Like, also like some of those that work forces are <laughs> yeah. the same that burn crosses. Pretty straightforward. Put it, put it together, guy. Uh, um, man, like like all their their like album covers, you know, like yeah, get it together. Uh, one of my favorites was this guy. Dave said, another successful musician instantly becomes a political expert. And Tom Morello responded, one does not have to be an honors grad in political science from Harvard University to recognize the unethical and inhumane nature of this administration. But I happen to be an honors grad in political science from Harvard, so I can confirm that for you. Um, (laughs) Just beautiful. Um, Boom. Boom. Get him on the pod. (laughs) Uh, Should we recognize some new patreon punks yes yes we should all right shouting out todd (laughs) todd shared a beautiful voicemail with us last week about the ska mask that he created for his (laughs) junior high drama class todd now that you are a patreon punk we need to see this mask uh do you do you have the mask do you have a picture of the mask can you recreate it for us we want to see it um thanks ted also (laughs) we got past and future guests brian nelson feeling andrew's brother joining the race 
Brian, thank you. Uh, yes, seems unnecessary, but we appreciate it anyway. <laughs> we no, will take your he, money. Uh, no, I will. We will. We will gladly take your money. And uh, you know, it's 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 funny because he didn't even mention to me that he was going to do this. I just got an, uh, you know, in our magnified pod email, our like our Gmail account. I just saw that he became like, oh, what a nice guy. And oh, also, yeah. be, being the dick I am, I, I haven't even like texted him or thanked him. Or <laughs> uh, so, on. <laughs> uh, there's there's plenty. I mean, I did talk to him today, and I uh, neither of us mentioned it. So, well, but we we appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> what a good brother. Um, yes, if you would like to join the growing ranks of our Patreon punks head over to patreon.com slash magnified pod to get such sweet bonus content as this week, we're going to go through the yellow second album still small on our bonus app. Yes. So we, uh, we've been doing what we call the magnified pod post game. John and I typically spend time after the episode, just sort of bullshitting and being silly. And it's like, why haven't we just been, putting that out as a bonus. So we've decided, yeah, we're just going to hang out for a little bit after and just keep doing stuff for the Patreon. And we put up videos uh, on our Patreon account for that. Plus you get the episode a day early. So speaking of anniversaries, I don't know. There's no, seg- there's no segue. <laughs> where here. Were we? <laughs> I don't. I have honestly no idea what we were talking about. <laughs> talking about the Patreon. Um, <laughs> yeah. So speaking of Patreon stuff, next week, a week from when we're recording this, so next week, June eighteenth, is our magnified pod two year anniversary. <laughs> That's so, right. June eighteenth. 2018 our first episode of magnified pod went live mm-hmm. and john i can't believe we have been doing this consistently <laughs> for two years yeah I'm uh proud it's of amazing us. Yeah. it is i'm very i'm to quote andy dwyer from parks and rec i'm very proud of me and <laughs> you are too <laughs> yes. and so next next week when we would normally be doing our recording mm-hmm. of this of an episode, we are going to do a Patreon only Zoom hang. Mm-hmm. So if you're part of our Patreon crew, one of our Patreon punks, we will send out a link to a Zoom hangout. And so for an hour, we'll just all kind of hang out, you know, make yourself a drink. We'll all just talk about whatever, whatever you guys want to talk about. Um, we expect uh, gifts to be sent to us uh, <laughs> in celebration of this monumental occasion. That's right. JK. But so then at nine, we will move to a, just a general Instagram live to anybody else who wants to just come and hang out and, you know, just thank you guys for st- sticking with us or, or joining us for this season or however long you've been part of MagPod Nation. We just want to 
hang out with you guys and say thank you. Totally. So this Thursday, June 18th, eight o'clock zoom call for Patreon punks. Central standard time. That's right. Eight o'clock our time, nine o'clock our time, Instagram live for everybody. Come show up, talk about whatever. We'll get into the five iron and MXPX weeds, whatever you want to do. Yeah. So I don't know what time that would be in like, so what would that be in Germany? It's, what <laughs> yeah, are they six know. hours? Are they six hours ahead? So that like be, all uh, of Europe is like roughly that. <laughs> yeah, six or seven hours. So that that would be like three or four in the morning. <laughs> well, and you know, Australia. Uh, our boy Craig. So Craig mentioned something on our Instagram about he could teach me to have a better <laughs> Australian accent. Uh-huh. So. I do need to, it does need some work. So I need our boy Craig too, to help yeah. me out. Leave us a voicemail. Show us the error. I don't want to say our ways. Cause I feel like mine's pretty good, but no, uh, yours is, yours is pretty, <laughs> yours is pretty good. Mine is a, a, it's a, it's a train wreck full of dumpster fires. <laughs> oh man. Sounds more like America to me. Um, <laughs> Hashtag. This is America. <laughs> Uh, speaking of our wonderful listeners, we have many music submissions. Do we want to get into some of those music submissions over here? I think we should listen to some musical rap. But one of the first things I'm going to do since, uh, our boy, you know, what was the dude's name? Nacho, Nacho Libre? Nacho Bobbles. Nacho Bobbles. I need to go get myself a hams because I am warm. I'm warm in here. And that crispy golden action that's right and the and the description of the bead of sweat i'm just too into it (laughs) um oh man so here's that here's the aforementioned hammies that sounds good (laughs) make sure you slam it um i mean should we i feel like we should give priority to scott who sent his own listener submitted music (laughs) Um, Scott Kerr generously sent over some yellow second demos, uh, some B sides. Uh, should we get into any of that? Let's listen to, I feel like we should listen to some altitude demos. Yes. What do you think about that? I think I like it. I also think I want to hear some of those B sides. Uh, Robert mentioned in his voicemail last week, I believe. to me 
you know that rules that does rule i think this supports my my general thesis of this album is that i don't have a problem with his voice i have a problem with the like effects and overproduction of the record because like his voice right there sounds great but to me it sounds like he put some effects and stuff on it in the final version i'm just not as into it so you know last week i sang his praises we'll get to all this but the between pavement and stars version of blizzards and bygones i love his voice i love the way that it sounds and that sounds closer to that stripped down demo version than i think the actual proper altitude version but anyway uh good demo (laughs) i concur let us hear thicker yellow second b-side It's dirty. Yeah. Return uninvited and unannounced. Whatever increasing amounts of meaningless flattery. So it's in the past for Forget platitudes for years never spent. Should it be enough for me to sound? Turn it all down. This rules, dude. Fucking rules. That's <laughs> You're not the only one with nothing to bring. So, you know, we talked about his voice a lot on the Yellow Second episode and then in the Scott interview. And I've had approximately zero issues with his voice over any of the records. I love Scott's voice. <laughs> and I, I love this. I love his voice in this song. I love his voice on Altitude. Um, and... I love that dirty, grungy guitar there, and the yeah, and the, that that sweet, sweet riffage. I'm into it. Scott, why is the song not on the album? The song is great. Um, why didn't you include that. it in the uh, re-release? Is what tricks. I want to know. Yeah, I think it sounds great. I, again, this is kind of this is kind of in keeping with what you said, where you were like, if it sounded shittier, you'd like it. Um, <laughs> but to yes. me those opening chords and that first verse and the way his voice sounds, that all reminds me more of still small era yellow second. Um, so I am way into that. I think here with you is the other. Yeah. The other B side heard here.
Hold on my shoulder and knock it on wood Won't do a thing, but maybe you could If you think it's so I'm double-minded, I'm brought out of steam As indifferent as you often seem I care what you think, but hate this routine And I thought you should know Your silence brings So many things And maybe there's some trace Of talent inside me I think that yellow second would have fit perfectly into the Midwest emo scene of the nineties. It did. Yeah. That did feel very emo of that era. Um, I was not as into that as thicker. Um, no, I was into thicker. I got thicker listening to thicker. Um, <laughs> um you knew, you knew, you had I knew to know. something was coming. Yeah. I was just waiting for it. Um, <laughs> that's what she said. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he also I'm, said, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. He also said the song Altitude is, and I can't remember if he talked about this on mic or not, but that he used the song Altitude, which didn't make the record again when they did Zen and the Art of Xenophobia on Engine. Um, so, should we do that now or should yeah. we save that for when we do Engine? Uh,. Yeah, let's save it. Actually, let's save it for okay. Engine. Because he also let's sent us that. a bunch of Engine a Million Plots demos, which will be really cool to get into. Yeah, yeah. So thanks, Scott. You are the best. Um, that yeah. all rules. Into it. Very into it. Um, so in addition to, you know, we've talked a lot about um, fan-submitted music. Yeah. And we, we have played our boy David Robledo's ska band on the pod mm-hmm. and we were like uh skamikaze i should mention yes, such a good so you should you should listen <laughs> people should listen to skamikaze but uh we have a variety of new listeners from this season who have sent us stuff and i'm just like i'm like i love it i love that we have people who are just like check out my dope music and so i want to transitioned from talking about yellow second to our boy chris stein who sent us the hashtag john cut of yellow seconds altitude all bridges (laughs) all bridges (laughs) Um, so this is a a only intro and bridges uh <laughs> version of altitude uh, clocks in at 16 minutes and 11 seconds hey and you know what it all sounds pretty good to me <laughs> yeah i know it does i know it does but it also just makes me really just want to listen to altitude <laughs> the actual album. Yeah, yeah one of my favorite parts from the interview was when i was like i mean does my fixation in your bridges make sense and he's like it makes total sense but i also like the other parts of the song and i was like <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> duly noted burn um, burn notice the, yeah you yeah. thought you thought for a second you were vindicated <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i do think there's still something to the idea that like bridges are an important part of the scots uh you know approach to songwriting but yeah so uh, let's listen we, to let's listen yes. to let's listen to uh here we'll let's listen to this is this is um blue i believe How about you know uh, nothing wrong there? Uh huh. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> oh, you're such an asshole. That's pretty great. <laughs> 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 yeah, we should. Uh, I don't know. If, I don't know how we can just uh, how or where we should post or release the John cut. <laughs> you know, for for like half the album at least. I'm like, no, I want the full song. But you know, some of these bridge cuts they they did the trick for me. Uh, Chris Stein, you are a beautiful madman. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. <laughs> well, yeah, Chris Stein is also a musician himself. Hey. He has, you can find uh, Stein, that's uh, S-T-Y-N-E. You can find him on Spotify. He has a, an album called American Dream with Dang. some provocative <laughs> album artwork that both John and I are very into. Yeah, this is like right up our alley. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so let's listen to a little bit of the opening track. Uh, this song's called The Great and Powerful. Got chops. Got them fast fingies. Yep. Don't peek behind the curtain. Keep swallowing the tail. They don't want you to see beyond the stainless veil. Yeah, man, you, like gotta, it, man. you gotta question that church, question who's in power. It's good you know, stuff. It's got that Dude. Wizard of Oz sort of metaphor going on there. Mm. Don't look behind the curtain. They uh as long as as long as people in power in power don't uh don't 
aren't exposed, they can stay in power. But you gotta you gotta throw back that curtain, man. Thank Chris. Right on. Yeah. Speaking, dropping some truth bombs. Into it. Um another one of our listeners this season, our boy mm-hmm. Bobby G. Robert yeah. Gay. Yeah. His band, Robert Gay and the Alarms. Uh, by the time this album comes out, this episode comes out, I believe Robert Robert has a brand new record, How to Make a Memory. Nice. Out on vinyl. Ooh. You can get that record on vinyl at robertmgay.bandcamp.com. Um, should probably listen to part of a opening track. <laughs> into it yeah you know this this has a this has like a rufus wainwright thing going on yeah i can see that i think robert was the one who said he liked the beach boys leanings of yellow second um Mm. which certainly makes sense hearing this 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 feels very beach boys to me um this is great man you know i love that production is great it sounds great he's got that opening trumpet which as discussed he played trumpet for uh matt teeson in the earthquakes um yep yeah, uh, but shit, I think I think if John had one note, it would be: Can you make this sound worse, Robert? Can <laughs> you? you it's, uh, can you? Can you? Can, like the, all that intro that we just heard is great, but can you like just cut out, cut to the right to the bridge? I will say, yeah. as much as I appreciate Brian Wilson, as I've discussed, for me, it's sort of like, uh, you know, Brian Wilson production comes with some baggage for me because I usually like want to want to strip it away a little bit. But this sounds lush and, and wonderful. Uh, congrats on the album, Robert. Yeah. It, yeah. The art, the album artwork is also really cool. So, yeah. Support our dude. Yeah. Um, <laughs> our boy, Casey Shock. Hey. Uh, you know. Casey, smiling Casey. That's right. Our boy, our our boy, uh, Johnny Johnny Two Grins. I don't know. Sure, I'm into it. <laughs> I'm just la- <laughs> I'm just laughing at uh, his band Man Up Nancy's single "Dude Dude Try These Nachos." <laughs> <laughs> that is perhaps the greatest single <laughs> of all time. <laughs> such such a great um, so. Uh, he so he has this he has this band, uh, man up, exclamation point, Nancy. Mm. Yep. <laughs> and he so he said I was tr- trying to f- uh, find the easiest way for you to get downloads of the metalcore band I played bass in. And I remember our drummer put them on Bandcamp back in the day, like ten years ago. We were 
a band from 09 to 2012. Here's a link to the self-titled EP. And then also to the one single dude, dude, try these nachos we released after. <laughs> yes. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, uh, so he said, uh, my personal favorites to play were after the siren and big Ben's brutal beard. Um, <laughs> brutal spelled with two zeros for the, <laughs> yeah, yeah this rules. I'm so into this. Yeah. So he has this long explanation, uh, which is, which is great. So, I, I appreciate all the the context, but I wanted yes. to let's uh should we play some um Big Ben's brutal beard? <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why you had fun playing that. <laughs> yeah. Also, um, I am going to listen to this all the time. This rules. That's good. I am a, I'm obvious. I, as I said, I am a uh, metalcore fan, especially mm-hmm. that, uh, that West coast, that West coast metalcore. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I love, uh, I love the tags that you got here on the uh, made up Nancy Bandcamp. Uh, awesome, awesome sauce. <laughs> Breakcore, which I've never heard of. Breakcore. No, I don't know what that is. Uh, I'm assuming it's um, you know, hardcore or metal that has like giant like breaks in it or something like sure. you know, breakdowns or something. Um, but yeah, Christian electronic, electronica, hardcore, hardcore techno. I don't know. Yeah, I guess we'll have to see if there's some. Uh, he said some there's some techno. bleeps and bloops in there. I love it. Into, into it. it. Very into it. Man up, Nancy. Um, we're gonna we're gonna end with um we're gonna end with some threefold chord. So yes. uh, three threefold chord was a a band um by fellow North Parker, Cody Thomas. Yes. And we were both familiar. I, at least I was. Were you familiar with Threefold Chord back in the day? Yeah, for sure. I, we, were t- we were talking about this. I was trying to remember the like shitty bar near campus where we would always get into no problem without showing IDs. And it was this the bar wood. the wood. Yes. And uh, Threefold Chord played there, if I'm not mistaken. And they also played uh, like the Covenant... Uh, church youth festival <laughs> um so i definitely need three four chord as we discussed i think we talked about this on the pod but my voice really went up there i think we talked about this on the pod um cody it likes um, the, the the third wave christian ska movement of the <laughs> north park area <laughs> um he uh worked at the same uh covenant bookstore that i did not at the same time but i worked in the warehouse and his band threefold chord used to practice in the warehouse so it's all it's all coming together it is coming together. So, two penny firecracker. 
uh, you can find this the full album on YouTube, uh, all in one long video. So, right on. Um, yeah, here we're gonna just play the opening of this record. Yeah. Shine on the dice with the big band Play in casino dream things Just bought away his wedding ring For another shot of catching dollar sign eyes Puffs twice on the dice out of ritual And lightly rolls a losing combination Jackpot price fantasies quickly demise into a reality of loss calculation. Crashing down up waves of inconsistency, plugging into high risk frequency. Place all your bets on the one who never fails to take life. Above and beyond. Our boys, three, four, old court. Awesome, um, man. I love hearing that old school ska. Uh, yeah. You know what is so cool about our listeners, as you were saying, is lots of talent and so diverse. We just heard yeah. some folk. We heard some metalcore. We heard some lush pop rock. We heard ska. Like, that was wonderful. Uh Thank you for so all diverse. that, everybody. Yeah, please send in your music, uh, whatever style it is. And yeah, uh, I would not say I would not say any of that was a waste of wonderful. If you will. hey, there you go. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> um, I feel like this is like a two-hour opening segment. <laughs> uh, we still got some voicemails too. <laughs> oh Christ! Um, <laughs> we have. A first time, first time caller, Daniel. Uh, hey guys, um, first time caller here. Uh, my name is Daniel, and uh, I just I just wanted to add to the litany of uh, Danny's and, and other Daniels and stuff that you guys <laughs> have calling on your podcast. Um, we are. This is like honestly. I think I feel like we need to have like. A Danny off. Like we just need to get all the Dannys together. Yeah. And it's just well, John, we I think you and I need to start a Scott band called Too Many Dannys. Too many Dannys. I'm into it. Uh I found you guys through Sadie Hawkins pod. Uh, I've been following them for a while because my favorite band is Reliant K. Uh, but uh one of my other favorite bands is Fire and Frenzy. Them and them and Brian K and MXPX were kind of my eighth grade, like holy trinity of, of bands. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, um, I'm just on the way home from work and I wanted to uh, call in. And uh, I think just with everything going on right now, um, it's super cool not only to get back into Five Iron and really. Uh, dive back into like some of the deeper meanings behind songs like Right Here and Beautiful America or, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but 
just also that I'm glad that it's you guys doing this podcast and not like, um, you know, just your prototypical like youth group kid from the. <laughs> I mean, well, I guess we all are that, but like somebody who didn't grow out of that, and it's just like I like Blue from '78. You know, uh, I don't know if that makes sense or not. I mean, that's a great song. I'm not bad. Anyway, um, I also had listened to the Yellow Second episode um, the other day and was super surprised by how how much that album sounds like Engine of a Million Plus. Um, huh. I I need to do more of a deep dive because that was the first time I'd heard. That, that last Yellow Second album. Um, and uh, when I first looked up on Spotify, it, it, it said uh, that the date was like 2017 or something. It was probably just when they uploaded it. But yeah. Um, yeah. apparently it came out in like 2005 or something like that. So it's just crazy to me that like the sound of like the guitars and the, a lot of the songwriting um, but the guitars especially was there. Uh, the, the sound of uh, Engine of a Million Plots was already there kind of in 2005. And I know it's just part about Scott writes, but a, a lot of those songs don't sound like the songs that Scott wrote for Five Iron in his first tenure with the band. Right. Um, so I just thought it was really interesting. I, I wanted on my own, like, do some more deep dive into that later. And uh, I think my time is almost up here. So anyway, Matt, talk for life. <laughs> yes thanks buddy under appreciate under the wire we appreciate it so yeah. thanks thanks daniel um so yeah i just want scott and reese and everybody else listening to take note that one of your fans uh is looking to and thinking of the meaning and the importance of and significance of the five iron lyrics during a time that is very fraught and challenging in our country right now. And this is why lyrics are important because they ground you, they, they root you in it's something that's important and you can return to them as a reminder and as something that can be uplifting and inspiring. So um, I don't well, I don't mean to put words into Daniel's mouth, but that's just sort of like how uh, I interpreted it. And uh, yeah, I think that's an interesting observation for somebody who maybe hadn't ever heard Yellow Second before and, and connecting yeah. those Scott's writing style to Engine. Yeah, you're not wrong. I think, you know, I, I've, I've laid out this thesis many times now, but I feel like Engine is a perfect marriage of sort of the sound that Scott developed apart from the band that the band was working on without Scott. I think it all comes together in a really satisfying way. But, you know, as Scott said, there are songs, even like we just said, the altitude B side that was reworked into Zen and the art of xenophobia. Um, there's definitely, there's definitely similarities and we'll get there with some other stuff too, but. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> this might be this might be my favorite phantom cackler. <laughs> yes, adding a new element there. Uh, well done, sir. We haven't heard from you in a while. I hope, uh, yes. I hope everything's working out for you there. Slow clap. Slow clap. <laughs> oh, uh, we have Nick from Eugene, Oregon. Hi, uh, this is Nick from 
Eugene, Oregon. Uh, first time calling in. Um, been listening since the very, very, very beginning. Uh, hey, snap! Although way after the fact due to not having discovered the pod until uh, early this year, 2020. Um, I just wanted to call in for the first time because I've been listening and uh, I'm almost done with the five iron frenzy stuff that you've got out so far. But um, first, I just want to say I hope all is well um, due to the, um, you know, of course, the riots and stuff going on in Minneapolis. Um, so I hope Andrew's all right and uh, doing well. And um, yeah, so um, <clears throat> I just wanted to briefly just share my little story with Five Iron Frenzy. Um, back in the day, you know, uh, the very first cassette I ever got was a Travis Trick cassette. So things could have gone vastly different in my musical um, <laughs> raising. But uh, uh, as with you guys, the CCM was um, a big part of my life. Uh, growing up in Assembly of God churches and Pentecost churches, um, it was, yeah, I mean, that was all I was allowed to listen to was Christian music. And so um, we'd go to the Christian gift store all the time. Um, I, I didn't really know what I was looking for. Uh, but one day I went in and I saw our newest album ever on the little, you know, sample thing where you could go up there and listen to like 30 seconds of each song on the headset they had there. And I just, I'd never heard anything like it. And, you know, I had no idea what ska was. And so it was a big deal. <laughs> uh, kind of blew my mind a little bit. Um, and so I was, you know, of course, we weren't super rich or anything, single mom, all that, but uh, big, big, big. And then um, my older sister um, got it for me for a birthday, I think, but it was up beats and beat down, which super disappointed me until I listened to it. And then it's like still like my favorite album now, um, just because of nostalgia, but also just because it's just uh, a little bit more raw and, um, I don't know, kind of that punk vibe. Um, but then I later got our new album number for Christmas, and together those two were my cassette, they warm out, and eventually got a CD. Um, yeah, so, <clears throat> um, like a lot of people, I think, uh, you know, I, I followed them all the way through Electric Boogaloo and, um, kind of started drifting away, like, as I got in a cut, like, after high school, I kind of went in all different directions with music, but I, I really kind of discovered punk for the first time when I was, like, 18, and so I kind of, I just threw myself into that and kind of threw everything Christian away just because it just, uh, went through a big change. Um, and so I kind of threw it all away and later regretted it and, um, bought all my Fire Friends CDs back, those ones especially, because how special they were to me, um, is when I <clears throat> later got to 2003 or so and I, I was at a Circuit City, I think was with Buddy. Ran, ran out there, but I want to, you know, first say, Nick, um, we're doing okay. Um, things have really calmed down here in Minneapolis. Change is afoot, as we discussed earlier. Um, but it's so it's so interesting, John, that like we so many people call in and have such a similar. Yeah, I feel like we were all simultaneously living of the exact same <laughs> existence. We were like looking for something to connect to. We go to the Christian bookstore. We're like, oh man, what is this? Yeah. And then we're like, have this phase. I don't know. I I I went through a phase where I got rid of all of my non-Christian music. I was going to say, he had the opposite of you. Yeah, he had <laughs> he the got opposite. got rid of all the Christian stuff. <laughs> he got rid of all the Christian stuff and he started listening to punk. I I started listening to all the Christian stuff and I was like, oh, I got to get rid of my... <laughs> I this It's funny now that I, you know, I got rid of my 
Operation Ivy CD. <laughs> now that you have now, a tattoo. Now I'm permanently tattooed on my body. Um, <laughs> and I was like, oh man, what a disaster that was. But yeah, I also just yeah. want to shout out, I love this like hearing from the number of people who've binged every episode like yeah relatively recently like i just that makes me happy thank you for doing that (laughs) yeah mark from denver hey there this is mark brito from uh, denver want to let you know how i felt about five and i'm probably behind the ball like i usually am but uh so i was hanging out with some youth group friends and we um we heard this song called uh keep me nice catch 22 and man i just became a ska nerd after that um, then I heard about the band of Five Iron Frenzy, uh, and that was all it took. I've become a huge fan, never looked back, never liked any band more, and uh, this happened to be about a few months after their last show. So, of course, I was too oh, late right. on that, um, and all I wanted, the greatest wish I could ever get was for Five Iron to come back together and play a show, and what do you know, 10 years later, I'm still a huge fan, and... You know, Kickstarter, I donated, new album, played a show, and I've been to every show since, and uh, I'm just so grateful for it. I don't know what's not to like about uh, Five Iron. Um, you know, they're all just a bunch of genuine people, no matter what you think about their music. Um, I'm a huge fan, and uh, I love your podcast. Uh, my favorite part is when you disagree, because as we know, everyone's got <laughs> different views and different uh, opinions on their music and what they like, and that's great. Uh, Magpod for life. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Mark. Appreciate it. Um, I yeah. So I think I don't know. John, is that is that something we need to do more? That we need to. You know what? Fuck you for thinking that, Andrew. <laughs> 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 You're right. Um, You're right. Maybe I feel like we're pretty on the same page i mean it's the kind of like reese's point last week where he's like are you guys okay like (laughs) (laughs) when we like really come to blows it's pretty rare but you know maybe it makes for good content so (laughs) danny stairs has uh has some thought on our scott episode so guys your boy danny stairs um at the end of this episode here just wanted to say call and congratulate you just so you've really outdone yourself this time with this interview I love the way you opened it with a reminder that John doesn't think he can sing and then ended it with an impossible quiz. Uh, you just really know how to make a guy feel good about himself. Back up for life. I mean, fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, for the outside observer, the interview started by John essentially being like, <laughs> oh man yeah poor scott i'm sorry scott that is it wasn't it really wasn't until danny left that voicemail that i kind of felt like an asshole i debriefed with you immediately after listening back to the episode because i was like you know not to not to blow up scott's spot here but after we recorded proper he said how much he appreciated it and and the interview and the podcast in general and i feel like we came away from that like this is our buddy this is our friend but a lot of that didn't make it onto the actual pod. <laughs> so listening back, we like play the game and then he's kind of like, all right, thanks. <laughs> it sounded a little bit like uh could touch us, but you know what? We had a great time and uh, he may or may not return. All right. We're going to, we're going to save some of these voicemails for later. Cause we have a, we have some more, but um, uh, please keep them coming though. Please keep them. Please keep them coming. You know, um, we appreciate, we appreciate all the voicemails, uh, but 
let's get we're gonna have to get to the reason truly, you're all here <laughs> right we truly did this is gonna be the first time that's like you know album discussion begins at two hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah right <laughs> enjoy the next uh, 20 minutes everybody <laughs> <laughs> yeah right um this is going to be the yeah the first the first like three quarters of this episode or eighty percent of this episode is not related to um, well for those folks who skip the intro maybe they'll enjoy this really short nice up so get yeah, ready maybe so <laughs> yeah so when we come back we're going to discuss our thoughts uh, our thoughtful thoughts on the uh, self produced uh, rise and fall. <laughs> of Five Iron Frenzy documentary. American Kryptonite Yeah! We're back. American Kryptonite supplies the very long intro uh, to <laughs> a long yeah, movie. It's pretty, mu- it's pretty much the entire song. Yes. Whereas but you, know you can maybe have introduced the band <laughs> in maybe like 25 <laughs> seconds or something. You know what? It's American Kryptonite, so I'll take it. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll take all the American Kryptonite you got to give to me. Yeah, well, there's if you wanted lots of show footage yeah. all the time, yeah, that doesn't it's 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 hard, it's it's a weird okay, maybe we should like back up a little bit before we get into the commentary about the uh sure. about this whole thing, but yeah, I got I got a question for you, Andrew. Yeah, what's up? What's up? When when did you first hear of the rise and fall of Five Iron Frenzy? Um. I don't know, maybe like a year ago. <laughs> really? It's funny yeah, because I, did, I never I didn't know that this was a thing until like like really before we started looking into this because as you know, I missed the engine Kickstarter. I wasn't right. you know, I, I just was not in touch what was with what was going on with yeah. Five Iron. And so like everything that was sort of happening after their breakup up until sure. them coming back, I had, I was not aware of any of it. That's interesting. For some reason, this was like really on my radar. I was excited about it. I remember seeing on social media, the members posting like, I'm going to film my segment now and just being excited about this documentary that had been in the works for so long. Um, and it's literally been on my like Amazon wish list for 10 years. <laughs> this podcast finally gave me the excuse uh, to get it. I did not get it on Amazon. Uh, we don't need to p- support Jeff Bezos right now uh, or ever. But um, I yeah, think I, I got it on eBay. I did too. When, I did too. when we started, uh, when we started this and I've, yeah. and I think I've watched it uh, maybe two and a half times okay, okay. since I've gotten it. <laughs> yeah. I, it's yeah like i said it's been on my like wish list forever i'd never actually seen it until now um but i'd been aware of it for a long time and i had been curious about it so this was released in april 2010 by asian man records and department of biophysics which is like reese's label um and 
after finally having seen it, I will say I'm in a much better position to receive it now versus if I would have just randomly gotten it sometime in like the last five years or whatever before we did the podcast. Yeah. Because I probably would have just been like fast forward <laughs> through it. Um, but, you know, the, there are some uh, disparaging comments made occasionally about how long this thing is. It is three hours long. Uh, as Danny Leary said, it definitely could be edited down. Um, you know, as Reese said, he just kind of put everything in there and, but you know, for hardcore fans, like we obviously are <laughs> at this point, just right. like deep, we're fully submerged in the world of five iron. <laughs> um, it's a really fun deep dive window into the life of the band, uh, for serious fans, I would say. Yeah. I don't, I, I think if if somebody was looking for an introduction to five iron this would not be <laughs> no like no. no if you wouldn't it's like if someone's like hey you want what what is what is third wave ska then you get them pick it up the documentary hmm. uh, ska in the 90s um you may cover i would I, I would not say hey check out the rise and fall of five iron frenzy that would be they'd be like this seems like a lot of unnecessary footage <laughs> and that doesn't really necessarily tell uh, the, you know, move the greater story forward. Yeah. It's just a lot of like bloopers and, you know, side conversations and just yeah. antics, lots of antics, lots of antics. I mean, I will say it gives a really strong depiction of what touring is like. Um, yeah just endless being in the car being at the airport fucking around while you're waiting people setting annoying teddy bears on fire <laughs> many montages of things being set on fire <laughs> um but yeah you know and reese gave himself a hard time this is like his whole project he like edited it directed it all this footage he'd accumulated that he'd taken himself that he'd collected from the band over all these years and putting it together and kind of writing this narration around it but you know, I really, I think it is true that you could make a much shorter version that maybe people who aren't as hardcore fans could appreciate as, because it is kind of a, 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 a very, um, you know, gives you the scene of the time, like this little, what's the word I'm looking for? Like this uh, moment in time, frozen little capture of that. Um, and specifically that ska bubble, um, that was relatively short. So I do think it's an interesting window into that. It's an interesting window into band sort of becoming bigger and wrestling with that. Um, so there's, I think there's a lot to like about it, it, it warts and all. Um, and one of the things that I like most about it is I've seen them so many times, but I'm so excited to see them again <laughs> for so many reasons. But like yeah. right, right now I'm so desperate for shows. Uh, right. I'm particularly desperate to see them because we've been doing such a deep dive into them for, you know, half a year now or whatever. And I just like, right. cannot wait to see them again, but all the footage from this, I'm just like, Oh my gosh, I can't wait. Like I just, it really makes me want to go to a live show. This documentary. I know the last time I saw them was over a year ago. So yeah, I am in desperate need. Uh, so let's, uh, let's talk about then, I guess, some highlights i think i think what's kind of interesting um and 
fortunate for for this kind of a project that they had the forethought to record constantly. Yeah. Before that was even really a thing, before right. the technology existed to make it convenient, they had to lug around the giant ass camera and probably have like VHS tapes or mini DV tapes or whatever they were using in like 1995. They were probably full VHS cassettes. Right. Uh, yeah. And doing all the physical editing with that. Nothing was, you know, digital for a while. And and capturing things like post-show and Reese actually cutting off his hair when yeah. they were, like, going to Cornerstone and, like, showing them where they slept at, like, a, you know, a, as like a um, rest stop or whatever. And just things yeah. are, are Reese getting pulled over by the cops. <laughs> you know, these <laughs> things that were just like, you know, might have like gone down in like five iron lore. Right. Uh, the camera was rolling. And I think that's very interesting that they were doing that so long ago and for so long. Yeah. Like we talked about with Reese, there's all this footage from like 20 years ago or more than that, where they're like, Oh, is this for the long form <laughs> video? <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So they had, I mean, he had this in mind for a long time and I mean, kudos to him for putting this thing together. I bet three hours out of the like, you know, 200 or whatever he had. <laughs> yeah. It was, was not a bad uh, cut. So yeah, I also feel dumb because there's so many things that happen in the documentary that give answers to things that I've wondered about aloud on the pod. <laughs> like, yeah, I wonder who did this and I wonder how this happened. And they answer a lot of that stuff. So I would say if you're looking for, you know, all that info, this is definitely a good place to find all the kind of five iron stuff. One of the most fun things to me is the Exhumator footage <laughs> because it almost seems like a mockumentary. <laughs> like it's just kind of like this classic, what you would expect, like a group of dudes pretending <laughs> to be like a metal band would be like, and it's not even bad. It's just like, it's so funny. Like it's, it's, if you asked five iron to pretend to go back the, and like be a metal band for a sketch this is basically what it would look like um but it is uh it's great and it's satisfying to see that exhumator footage um i feel like yeah i i i uh scott was like saying like when they were sort of stumbling upon doing like a pop punk or maybe accidentally doing a ska thing that it's like they're kind of glad they did because Exumator was not very good. But like, okay. you know, also Scott kind of looks back as he admitted, like those early Five Iron records, he's not proud of. He doesn't like them right. as much. And I wonder what Exumator could have become. Yeah. Uh, with maybe some more seriousness and time and right. not that I necessarily would have preferred an exhumator right, to right. five iron, but just like as a very early band trying to figure it out, like, I don't know. I was into it and I liked, yeah. I liked, you know, Reese's red hot chili peppers hair. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No, I should. I, 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 totally an Anthony Kiedis thing. Going yes, on. definitely. Still hot. Uh, yeah. Long hair and shorter. Um, 
yeah i don't mean to suggest like their music is so bad that it's like a mockumentary because they're actually pretty good like and it makes sense because they're good players they're good songwriters it's just so funny that it's like they were fully (laughs) that metal world and then on a dime became a very different kind of band um but you know and we got to get we got to get mike on the pod so we can talk about some of that that sweet metal riffage yes for sure yeah because we've always we've always like speculated about like some of the uh his maybe if there's some influence from micah on uh, five iron songs with some of that like right metally yeah, yeah yes. g- guitar tapping kind of like riffing mm. and stuff and um yeah. I mean, if he was there from the beginning as with scott with eximator you know maybe right. maybe there's something to that yeah i feel like you can tell a sort of micah riff um from being in that world um but yeah i mean they clearly they clearly had the chops um I also, I mean, Cornerstone is such a like staple of this documentary (laughs) Um, and just not just Cornerstone, but what we always talk about about Cornerstone, what it represents of just like feeling dirty. (laughs) Like, it's really fun, all that footage, uh, but it just makes me feel like I need to take a shower, uh, which I'm sure is what so much of touring uh, felt like uh, at that time. Just wanting so badly to take a shower. Yeah, totally. You know, I can't, I can't imagine eight i mean they joke about eight people in a stinky van right and you get to see it and but like after playing uh famously dusty dirty hot shows Mm -hmm. uh and then like needing to pile into a van (laughs) yeah it's pretty gross that's that sounds horrific (laughs) and like they're all just like laughing at that point where like the antifreeze is like blowing <laughs> into the van. I'm like, Hey guys, like maybe, maybe don't die. I mean, that's, right. that's, that's yeah. an idea. It is crazy how much like car troubles are just a staple of touring and how awful yeah. it sounds. They look so hot and sweaty so much of the time. I feel yeah. like whenever they're sort of like, describing a moment or a show it's all just like it was so hot <laughs> yeah um yeah, yeah. there's one show they were like remind us to only come back here in january like all these references to like i'm gonna have a, <laughs> have a heat stroke and <laughs> right. reese is like just fully plunging his head into water to cool himself down and then but at the same time they're like let's put on full like furry outfits essentially and play in these animal costumes i'm like (laughs) that is one way to pass out in like two minutes totally yeah i don't know why yeah they rocked lots of costumes they did this was the i mean this is kind of an infamous show too but having these giant heads these animal heads (laughs) all that they show is them playing third world think tank like fully in the heads and then most of them take at least the heads off but uh yeah that looked pretty grimy that show uh yeah andy was like they cut to andy and he's like like it's so hot he's just like yeah i I can't imagine like i don't (laughs) understand but my favorite part was because they had they had the heads on where the mouth is on the costume is not where reese's mouth is so it's like <laughs> the the microphone is like 
not near the mouth. It's like in the center of the face of this like costume. So it just looks absurd. That's pretty great though. Um, Yeah. There's, it's fun seeing some of these venues. Like there's one that definitely looks like fireside bowl in Chicago. Uh, Clearly some sort of place that's maybe also a bowling alley, but I don't think it is fireside, but you know, just all these kind of dives and seeing that early footage is fun. Um, You know, they talk about that tension, that struggle of wanting to play clubs, but the label wanting them to play higher paying church venues or Christian venues. Um, Right, right. That seems like a a through line through most of their experience as a touring band. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Um, Which is a bummer that that and it's it's something that they that reese has dealt with in a lot of the lyrics sort of performative christianity and right um which is different than that was it freak fest in europe i forget what country it was in and they were like the the people who put on this festival didn't care about right, right, right. the performative yeah, yeah. elements they're like here have some beer and cigarettes and <laughs> right. it's yeah. like it doesn't it doesn't it really doesn't matter and as if uh somebody drinking a beer it has any impact on whether or not that they have a significant relationship with jesus or that they're saved or whatever and right so i imagine yeah. that sort of stuff was a nightmare right yeah, they, uh, you know, Scott Scott mentions wanting the legitimacy that the Christian scene couldn't provide and kind of feeling yeah. like it was second rate and that sort of being his, one of his main reasons for leaving the band. Um, but, but they he's, also... He's not, he's not wrong necessarily. No, no, that... for sure. Yeah. <laughs> All of them make it clear that what they would have preferred to have been doing was like venues and bars. <laughs> yeah. Um and their teeth on those on those club shows but that's also not where the money was they could play some church shows and just rake in the money and all the giant fans would just like eat up all their merch you know yeah Uh, but yeah there's plenty of five minute walk shit talking (laughs) in the documentary Um, I, i think all of them you know respect frankie t frank tate um, and the experience they had, but there is a lot, you know, Dennis talks about like, he couldn't think of a worse billing than some of the like tours that five minute walk put together with just these totally different bands. Um, and yeah, clearly there was a frustration with how some of these tours were packaged. I think, you know, there's like a lot of five iron lore about, uh, ska against racism, that tour, um, yeah. and how it was significant for them and kind of being like, Oh, this is how other bands are experiencing the touring life or the mm-hmm. playing music professionally life right now. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, Scott even names that that was kind of when he most explicitly had a paradigm shift and lost his faith during that time. Um, so that was interesting to see some of that. Uh, yeah. What also else just like on that, on that note, the sort of, of the tours that five minute walk put together, the mm-hmm. profound lack of creativity and thinking outside the box when they they toured with the W's nine times. Yeah, like, they they were all like, "That's enough." <laughs> like, like really, that they they're like, 
hey guys, I know you did this seven times before. What uh, about another? Yeah, like, that ugh, that would be a bummer. <laughs> no shade at the like, W's, but hey, just like, hey, you you guys have horns. They <laughs> have, horns. have horns. Hey, <laughs> put them not? together. Put them together. <laughs> Double the horns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a. Uh, there's some funny stuff that we see from how those tours worked out and their frustration with it. You know, Dennis talks about wanting to play non-church tours for the street cred um, and also like reaching kids outside of the, the church world. Um, but I will say when he talked about, so they, they made it a point to play warp tour to kind of make up for that but i'm like boy that warp tour schedule sounded awful <laughs> when they described it <laughs> he was like you play your show and immediately get in the bus and drive all night to the next location and you get up and then you play your show <laughs> you know it's just like this non-stop crunch of like not even really hanging out but just this grind of like these little sets and then immediately driving to the next place and that doesn't yeah. sound fun um nope no, it's like I could understand wanting it to be a little cushier sometimes. Um, yeah, even if it's romantic to to keep it more punk. Well, I mean, they did they did uh, set up that that school bus, which sounds kind of dope. It sounded dope. It sounded doper than uh, the actual proper bus that Frank Tate got for them that almost like killed Reese. Almost killed. <laughs> For his uh, anecdote to us, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was uh, yeah. like, yeah, it was just like black mold, just filling so the... gross. Ugh. Yeah, whose whose tour bus was it again? I can't remember. He it bought was it from some, somebody. Like, ra- yeah. Random pop star dude. Right, I can't right, remember right. why. I can't remember who it was, but yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's like, hey, we're gonna get you this bus that's going to murder you and you have to pay me back for it. Like, <laughs> right. yeah. Cool. What a deal. <laughs> right. Why am I doing this again? <laughs> yeah, who's, yeah. Who's this? Who's this benefiting? Um, um, so let, can we talk about, can we talk about some of the, uh, the bummers in the, yes, uh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I recognize this was like 1995, but like the, uh, the, the, frequent use of the word retard yeah <laughs> it's well, kind of a bummer <laughs> not not great <laughs> not a not a great look t- um but you know yeah i i'm certainly guilty of that in you know in the 90s as well it was a different it, time it, it was a not that it was okay right 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 sit call call someone a freaking retard in uh 1995 but um yeah, that that was like that was uh a joke that was included at least three times. <laughs> so yeah, that seemed to be like a, a Reese favorite. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um it's just funny to see them as kids. I mean, I'm glad I don't have hundreds of hours of me Oof. when I'm nineteen or whatever. Oh man. Uh, I would have had I would have said all sorts of homophobic <laughs> stuff. Guaranteed. Yeah. Yeah, and I would have been, and I would be like, can we please burn all of this footage of me forever? I'd <laughs> yeah. be, I'd be so ashamed. Uh, so I, I get it, but it's not like that was leaked footage. It was like compiled and put right. together in- intentionally not that long ago. So yeah, that yeah. that. What else is on the bummer list? 
I know. I feel like there was like uh, a like parking in the rear joke. Like, <laughs> like sounds vaguely like, familiar. Yeah, I don't know. It's it, it, not too, not too, not too many bummers, fortunately. Yeah. But it uh, is there funny was to the, see them. There was the uh, there was the like when Leonore couldn't be on the tour, and like they're like, you know, as you know, like uh, who's here to see, you know. You know the girl in the band, and all the guys are like, <laughs> "Yeah!" And they're like, "Yeah, she's she's can't be here. She's at home, you know, finishing school." Boom! <laughs> like, all right, all yeah. you 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 horned up Christians, like, calm down. <laughs> I mean, in their defense, everything is better when Leonor is there. No, um, I I'm not saying that that's not the case. But right. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, chill out. They're guys. just. They're all just like sad that like Leonor wasn't right. there, not not because of her the musical styling she brings sure. to the band. Yeah, just like everybody was. Uh, you know, <laughs> sure. We all know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny to see them encapsulated in these different moments, being kids, and then even so, they're in 2010. So it's it's interspersed with all this old footage. Is is new interviews at the time with every member of the band. Um, and even the difference having talked to some of the band members lately about how they felt in 2010 when they were looking back on that time, you know, it's interesting to see these different time capsules of like nineties, 2010, and then knowing where they're at now. Um, you know, you do a lot of growing and changing over (laughs) 25 years. Um, yeah. So it's interesting to see all that. And, I got, um, and also, like, I imagine from your uh, 30s to 40s, which they right, did right. from this from this footage to now. Yeah. It's a lot. Um, let's see. They, some of the things I thought were interesting, you know, Dennis names explicitly that after Scott left, they never got that sound back, um, which is kind of an obvious thing, but it is interesting to hear the band members name that explicitly. And, you know, Saki talked about the recording of Scott's last album with them, which was the EP. Um, but that being like a tense time and you can definitely see that um, reflected, but there are some really cool things about that. You know, I, he he shared he mentioned the thing that he talks about with the, the dandelions lyrics in the documentary with us too um in that episode um and i love seeing the pants opera <laughs> being recorded um, your favorite your number one pants song <laughs> i maintain that i laugh out loud at brad's <laughs> reggae song and delivery it's it's wonderful yeah his, um, his voice is i i i've got to wonder if I would be shocked considering some of the stuff that they filmed that that was the only one that was filmed. Yeah, like, no, there's got to be more, right? There's got to be. Release, hashtag, release the pants. <laughs> the pants cut. Um, <laughs> yeah, the pants cut. We need the pants cut of <laughs> of this documentary because there's got to be, if the f- tape was rolling for uh, for Brad, there's got to be everybody else i mean because it was i want to see i want to see uh all of them i want to see 
I want to see Micah. I want to see. Um, it, it was funny talking the, to the Scott. Metal. About, right. Yeah. But Scott being like, Bobby. <laughs> like, I want to see Scott doing that. <laughs> Bobby's, Bobby's pants. <laughs> it's just funny imagining Scott as this, like, you know, it, he very serious this with musician. Us. Right. Back when he was younger, he was he wanted very nothing. Intense. He wanted nothing to do with any of this. He wanted to be done, but then just going in there and throwing down a Bobby's pants. I mean, it's it's truly wonderful. But um, also, I, I made this, I also noted, you know, people listening to our Scott episode probably were like, listening, being like, this is a serious, like, thoughtful you know scott gave thought to all of his answers like uh he was sincere and honest and measured in his delivery uh which is very (laughs) different than someone like reese or andy who was just like (laughs) you know they're just like "Ah!" all the time just like you know so (laughs) over the top but watching that documentary scott was really really silly <laughs> yes he was very silly uh there was he was there's was lots of singing there was lots of goofy faces and yeah. uh i was I, like no i was just gonna say i tried to make reference to like the fact that he was very intense <laughs> as a young person <laughs> according to this documentary in a way that was surprising to me um and when i mentioned that like casually in our interview with him he was like yeah, I was a real asshole back then. <laughs> and I wasn't trying to be like naming that, but I'm just like from the opening scene, he's just like pushing Reese and like, what's up, Reese? <laughs> just like, oh, this is a different vibe. And then you yeah. cut to him in 2010 and he's like, I guess you could say at the time, you know, he's just like, yeah, so much more reflective. And Andy's like a Tasmanian devil the whole time. <laughs> just like constantly like mugging and screaming and stuff. <laughs> I love it. I love, I love any time the camera is on Andy because he, he is just like, Andy is made to be in front of the camera because like you said, he's always mugging. He's always making some sort of silly face or uh, the, the, the part where they're at the rest stop and, and Keith is walking around to showing place places where they slept and he just walks in the frame and goes this place sucks and then just like walks <laughs> walks yeah. away and yep. just like all the all the just goofy noises and sounds i'm just i i got a lot of joy watching andy <laughs> oh, just yeah. like a very so many of them are just such free spirits and yeah, yeah. i and i loved and i loved watching all of them, especially Andy, just sort of embrace the the goofiness of the goofy sides of themselves and right. yeah. um, not shy away from the camera. Yeah. We get to see Andy singing Minor Threat with the Smiley Kids, <laughs> which rules. Um, it's fun. Some, some drum acrobatics. <laughs> right. You know, yes, of course. Standing on the, on the drum, his drum seat. Um seeing the the actual cornerstone 99 footage we've talked about where they're recording proof uh is fun to see the metal gear um and then yeah it it was very striking when they talked about like the one month of like horror for them (laughs) where it was like christy book broke up with reese during a semester in mexico 
they saw like those decapitated pigs or whatever. <laughs> like, right. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah. They, yeah. 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 It's horrifying. Columbine. Yeah. And then like the, the driver died that they saw just like all this like yeah. super yeah, intense yeah, yeah. stuff. Um, yeah. That was crazy. Um, one thing. I, but go ahead. Sorry. Good. No, no, go ahead. I was going to go back to something really stupid and silly. Go back to the silly, stupid thing. Well, yeah, going to stupid silly. Uh, <laughs> I loved the Frank Tate prompting the audience at Cornerstone to just boo. Yeah, that was <laughs> great. That was wonderful. And just yeah, <laughs> and then they come out, and it's just like that is one hundred percent something that Five Hour would do, and they still have maintained that level of self-deprecation to this day. So great. I love it. They just, they're just, they just lean. I love, I love, love, love that they don't like, yes, Scott is serious. They take, they take the song and the crafting of the song seriously, but they don't take themselves like, yeah, so seriously that they're like, well, I, I do declare I am an artist and I, (laughs) I don't write songs. I, I craft musical <laughs> poems or whatever like yeah, it's no. it, it's just none of that that they they can they can make make a joke and and t- make themselves the joke which is my favorite kind of joke yeah where you you draw attention away from being mean spirited to somebody else and you take it on yourself and make yourself the butt of the joke right. which is why i love absurdist comedy because people have people absurdist comedy like people have they don't have an, that that embarrassment gene where they right. they don't mind looking stupid in front of people and i just i love that i i think that is so endearing and it makes me love them so much yeah totally along those lines um one of the good jokes in the movie is well so we get to see footage of Justin McRoberts singing which right, I said yes. I wanted to see. He uh, he replaced Reese for was it just one show? A couple shows? No, I think it was at least at least two shows. A couple shows. Um, and I was like, man, I'd like to see that. We get to see it, and he does a good job. He sounds good. Yeah, sounds um, good. Yeah, into that. Uh, but then Leonard says it's kind of cool to play a show with a lead singer who remembers all who the words, the lyrics. <laughs> which is a great burn. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that is a solid burn. Uh, Twenty comedy points for Leonard. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, some of the other stuff that stood out, like, um, you know, Sonny talking about how easy it would have been for them to ride the sky explosion to selling out. Um, but that the reason that they have the legacy they do is because they stayed themselves. Like it must've been tempting in that sky bubble to sell out (laughs) and yeah become a fad and probably make a bunch of money but most of those bands you don't hear too much about anymore um who had a big single in the moment or whatever but you know five iron has this huge um devoted core group of fans who you know their legacy is looked on much more positively because they always stayed who they wanted to be so i thought that was cool um um one of the things that I think is in watching this now is 10 years ago, Sonny sitting in a place in like a restaurant, just like talking about 
what he does for work and how he like yeah um, right you know helps you know essentially people like what like what's the what's the his title again uh like a ventilator yeah nurse? like he's like, like yeah people yeah people yeah. into intubation or something like right, yeah, right, right. yeah that those sort of things like yeah people who need help breathing i'm that guy and it's just like <sighs> yeah 10 years later 10 years, he's, right yeah, doing it in a very different later. context yeah yeah it's it's that sort of thing is probably wasn't as like insane right. as yeah. Yeah, as as it is now, and I'm just like watching that for the first time. I was just like, "Oof." Me too. Yeah, totally. Um, other stuff that I was like, "Oof," about. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they talk about kind of in that same period of nine eleven. We've talked to a few members of the bands about this, but like the fact that they went to New York on nine eleven, like they were driving in that right. night, um, right. and Andy kind of talking about that combined with his dad dying at that time with hearing the Jerry Falwalls and the Pat Robertson's responses right. to nine 11 was kind of like right. his breaking point with, with Christianity and with the band yeah. in some ways and seeing that footage of them driving into New York on nine 11 and playing the shows after like the heaviness of it makes more sense now that that was for at least some of them, the moment where they're kind of like, maybe we're, maybe we're done with this. <laughs> um, and that does do play pretty heavy. Um, it's also, that came shortly after some other emotional parts of the movie. Like, so the South Africa show, um, yeah. where Reese talks about, particularly Reese talks about the free show they played in, in Lesotho, um, and playing with orphans and meeting people and, um, you know, we've heard band members talk about that before, but Reese saying that that was his favorite day ever being in five iron is definitely powerful and seeing some of that footage and the place they played and everything. Uh, yeah. Even though the show itself wasn't, wasn't filmed. Right. Um, I mean, I feel like that's what they said, like, or I don't know if the show itself wasn't filmed or they won't share the footage or. Right. Yeah. I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, it just seemed like that was a pretty profound Mm-hmm. profound experience. It was something I actually wanted to talk to Reese about in the yeah. interview, but mm-hmm. I, it was one of the questions I had written down, but uh, yeah, well, maybe we still up, can. Maybe we'll still, maybe we still can. We'll see if we can get, um, we'll get our, our boy, uh, Greg Taint in touch. <laughs> That's right. Pass it on to Reese. Um, yeah. I felt some vindication when Andy described all the hype as being all over the place. Yep. Um, let's see. There's I mean, some... I feel like I feel like we have had uh, uh, we've had some listeners call in and others communicate to us that that you know Meg from Monterey being one of them that thinks we're wrong <laughs> right. about about that record, uh, and that I'm not saying that just because the band it doesn't think it's one of their strongest efforts invalidates that. No, I'm just saying that like, I feel like we, I feel like have solid footing in holding that, that particular opinion that it's inconsistent and uh, difficult to listen to at times. (laughs) And it's definitely not one of my go-to five iron records that would, it's probably, 
if it's probably not, it's probably gonna be the last Five Iron record that I choose to listen to. If if someone says which which album do you want to throw down, it's not going to be at the top of my list. Well, we're gonna have to rank our our albums pretty soon here. And, we will. Uh, no spoilers, but uh, all the hype is <laughs> not at the top of that list. No, nope. um, it is the last one. Um, <laughs> But I, are, I don't uh, think that's a, I don't think that's a spoiler. It's like no, it's, knows it's that. like it's like an MXPX. You know, when we ranked our MXPX records, and and I was and before everything and after was my least favorite. That would surprise zero percent of people. So yeah. and for me, uh, that uh, that edged out secret weapon. <laughs> so I anyway. know, I know. <laughs> um, anyway, that's a different band. Um, <laughs> Speaking of different bands, they also feature some Brave Saint Saturn songs, um, especially as the documentary is kind of coming to a close and getting more emotional. Um, so that was cool yeah, to hear. Yep. Yep. Um, they have this great photo montage uh, at the ending of Every New Day um, where they do this compilation of Every New Day being performed footage from a bunch of different shows. Um, and I got emotional during the, the photo montage that comes at the end of every new day. Um, it's pretty great. It, yeah, it really moved me. Um, and part of it was that some of the footage from that compilation is from the North Park show. Uh, they played oh, shit. Yeah, our college on uh, December 7th, 2002, as we discussed. I, I looked for myself in the footage, but it didn't see me. But I know I was right at the edge of the stage because I believe I was security for that show. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was cool to see that that was one of them. Uh, as we've discussed, you were at a Michael W. Smith concert that night. Don't uh, remind me. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that, but, you know, Every New Day is already primed to make you emotional, but the fact that they do this different footage from different shows and then the ending with all these photos from over the years is just like, oof, man. Um, this band does mean a lot to me. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then this Einstein quote that it, that it ends with is interesting. Uh, he who joyfully marches to music in rank and file has already earned my contempt. He has been given a large brain by mistake since for him, the spinal cord would fully suffice. Um, that feels very Reese. <laughs> That's sort of like Five Iron has not a been not been a band that did the rank and file thing, um, right? And kind of having uh, some contempt for that idea about approaching music in that way. But uh, that was an interesting, an interesting Einstein quote and an interesting place to end it. Um, you know, I some so so that's. So that's the three hours of the documentary on disc one. They refer to disc two as a coaster. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it has a bunch of weird stuff. We've alluded to that a little bit, uh, especially when we, when we did our crossover. Tea with, party. Yeah. So Zeddy Hawkins pod tea party, which features Matt Thiessen. Um, but there's a lot of, a lot of weird stuff on it. Mostly like these little sketches uh, that race directed um and kind of like just ways to pass time and be funny and do little skits uh during touring and stuff like that but there's some funny stuff in there um but and it has all the videos up until that point which is is really fun um but you know the entire last show is on there which i think is a real gift um Jason talked about this a little bit when we did our, when we had him on for the end is here episode. And he talked about the live show. Um, 
but just the, the fact that that, that whole last show is on the extras disc is, is awesome. Um, we get to see Frankie T doing that intro. Um, we hear some extra banter that's not on the actual record. Um, Brad raps Ice Ice Baby on Old West, <laughs> <laughs> which is really something. Uh, they do receive him. They do wink of an eye, both of which are <laughs> two second songs. Uh, they play Smitty, aforementioned Michael W. Smith. They play Friends while all holding hands. That's a special moment. Um, and then, yeah, we get to hear the sometimes when we touch from the medley that does not make it onto the album either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is wonderful. So anyway, they, uh, I stand by my Reese and the band chooses curious covers. Um, <laughs> yeah, that is a funny one. I don't know why they, it's like, this is like, why are you the way that you are? But, but for covers, <laughs> you know, some of it, I, I, I can, I can get behind that. That is a funny one. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't, I don't mind. I don't mind a little snitty, just like, let's get, well, some, just, let's get some picture perfect, you know, or <laughs> that would be wonderful. Please put it on the new album. Five iron. Yeah. Um, that's pretty much all my episodes. About Rise and Fall. Yeah. I, I don't have any, I have, um, I have fully disrobed. Um, I am, I am so warm in this, in my office right now. <laughs> Just noticed you don't have a shirt then. I don't have a shirt on. Um, yeah, I am. I've, I've been struggling over here. Uh, rise and fall am, just puts you in a state of mind. Just <laughs> shed all those clothes. Well, um, you know, and, and baby Yoda just is <laughs> judging you. <laughs> there he is. Uh, oh, Yodi. Um, these are, these are like, these are Harry, Harriet eyes right here. That's true. Harriet does definitely look like a star Wars creature. That'd be like gambling in the background or something. Um, well, that's the rise and fall of five iron frenzy. Yeah, it is. Um, I'm, curious to hear uh what stands out to people if they have particular moments that they found fun or insightful or interesting um you know we told reese uh we'd be we'd be giving him some shit for this but you know i overall i think it's i i really appreciate having it i understand it's too long and there's too much footage um but it's 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 fun um yeah i think it serves its purpose which is it's perfectly a, serviceable. It is a, <laughs> <laughs> a perfectly serviceable documentary. It is, a perfectly, it is a perfectly, yeah, put that on the re-release. You can, that's the poll quote. Uh, no, but <laughs> I right. think it's the, it serves the purpose for fans who, it's like a time capsule. It's not necessarily uh, meant as, I don't know, maybe it was it was meant to be like a, storyboarded documentary or something but it could so. have used <laughs> it could have used some storyboarding and maybe uh, uh you know a person who i don't know i don't again yeah. don't want to shit on reese for yeah. a love a love letter essentially to um fans and to the band themselves and sort of like capturing their uh their experience as a band together before 
they knew that they were going to be doing this again. Totally. Uh, yeah. I think that's why, um, I mean, I would look at this really differently if this was the last document we had of five iron and nothing came after. Right. Um, but knowing that this was just kind of another piece of the journey makes me like, ah, whatever. It's a fun time. Um, yeah. And I think part of the reason why I have, why I've waited so long to watch it is because once they did get back together, I felt less inclined to sort of see this. Cause it was like, well, this is the last thing we got. This is kind of the final statement on five iron, but then they released a great album and toured again. And I was like, yeah, the documentary, whatever just kind of fell off the wayside a little bit, but, um, and you know, who knew that for so long, maybe people thought, engine was the last thing we were going to hear right right considering seven years in it's been a while it's been a while speaking of uh, it's stained reunion stained reunion stained is putting out new content stained five iron gotta get a gotta get a tour together <laughs> that collab going yeah uh five minute walk would probably put them together on the same bill <laughs> um all right well, on notice, Frankie T. That's right. He called out. Uh, that is the Rise and Fall of Fire and Frenzy. Let us know what you think about it over at Magnified Pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe to the pod if you haven't already and give us a rating or a review. We will read your review on the pod. Email us at magnifiedpod at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 872-762-4763, 872-7-MAG-POD. <laughs> Um, support us over at patreon.com slash magnified pod and like we said this week's uh post game app is going to be a breakdown going through still small by yellow second a great album that means Uh, i'm gonna have to put my shirt back on well yeah i suppose that's true (laughs) this is not what people are paying for that's a different patreon (laughs) that is a that is a level that nobody's paid for (laughs) at least uh at least not for the show um Pick up some merch at magnifiedpod.storeenvy.com. Thanks to Shadow Producer Jason at Unoriginal Vinyl, and thanks to Heavy Ordnance Studios and Danny Lurie for our artwork. Well, time is winding down, but only for this up. We want you to be found enjoying the next episode. American Kryptonite Yeah! Click, your finger clicks, remote, says copper, high, just so... Low.